In today's podcast, you'll hear some strange crackling going on behind me. I'm not eating wrappers. It's just a poor connection. Don't worry. You'll still hear everything. Whoop, here we go. podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician and i'm cowboy andy today let's talk about oh i know let's have story time story time i love story time okay so stories are an a very uh, intrinsic part of many children's performers and, and entertainers for families and friends i tell stories through song uh but I mostly play on stages, concerts for festivals and things like that. I don't spend a lot of time getting down uh, eye level with kids. It's just not what I do. But I find it fascinating that some people are just absolutely masters of it. And today, we are bringing in one of the true masters of the art of storytelling. It's my extreme pleasure to welcome to the barn, Donna Washington. Good morning, Donna. How are you? Well, good morning, Cowboy Andy. I'm fine. <laughs> it's so cool to uh, hear your voice after hearing some of the stories that you've told. It's like, oh, I recognize your voice, even though we've never <laughs> met. It's really fun. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I am uh, downplaying your uh, role in storytelling in, in contemporary times. I really think that you are one of the masters of it. You've been as far as I could tell from research, doing it for 30-odd years. You travel extensively. Yours is one of the first names that comes up when people talk about stories for children. And what I was hoping we could talk about today is how, maybe how you got into it, a little bit about your motivation, but then also the importance of it, maybe some tips and tricks on on just how you go about doing what you do so well. Okay, I'm up for that. Cool. So how did you how did you jump into this? Where did you start with your storytelling? Well, I'm sort of an odd storyteller in the sense that a lot of people come to storytelling after they've done something else as a grown-up, right? They have a job as a teacher or they're in law or religion. But I came to it right out of university. Uh, while I was there at Northwestern, I was studying uh, theater. And Reeves Collins, who was a new professor there, walked up to me and said, you should be a storyteller. And mm. I was 20 nothing. So I said, okay. Because uh, when you're 20 nothing, everything sounds good. Mm-hmm. And then he spent the next year and a half kind of turning me into a storyteller. He signed me up for the graduate level classes because there were no undergrad classes in storytelling. And he just handed me my schedule and said, you have to take these classes. And I said, okay. Wow. Um, and then he proceeded, like my first day in there, I was this little undergrad with all these giant grad students, I just felt really out of my depth. And when it, he was having everyone introduce themselves, and when it got to me, he just pointed at me and said, that's Donna Washington. She's already a storyteller. She's just here to practice and learn some new stories. And then the next person went. Oh. And I thought, okay. <laughs> uh, but then, but you know, by the time I graduated from university, 
everybody knew I was a storyteller. I, I didn't even think that I was going to do anything else. And so I have been a professional storyteller for 32 years. It's the only thing I have ever done. And I'm glad, I guess, because I'm quite suited to it. Mm. Is it what you wanted to do? Like when you were when you were little or younger, were you prone to telling stories, making up stories or telling stories that you had been, that you'd heard? Well, you know, I'm suited to it for a lot of reasons, but I didn't know this was a job when I was a kid. I mean, who thought you could be a storyteller? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a family of seven kids mm-hmm. and my dad is in the military, so we traveled a lot. So we were our own traveling circus. Mm. And like on Sunday or Saturday mornings, we would make my parents toast and cereal and juice. And then we'd give them breakfast in bed and we'd do a play. Because there's seven of us. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I, I'm a talker. I always have been a talker. And I've always been drawn to writing, but I was also drawn to science. It was a toss up. Mm. I could have gone the way of botany or the way of performance. And ultimately performance went out just because I love it. Mm-hmm. So I would think that that's probably where a lot of the impetus came from. I, I came from a family where we do a lot of talking. Um, my grandparents told us stories. My parents told us stories. I'm a bookaholic, a bibliophile. Mm-hmm. I love books. And uh, I've been reading since I was about four. So all of these things came together. And ultimately, when I found storytelling, I realized it had just always been a thing that I was that, it, that was an inevitable road. If I had found it when I was 30, I would have become a storyteller. If I'd found it when I was 80, I would have become a storyteller. <laughs> I just happened to find it when I was 20 nothing. That is so cool. That that calling early. Now, with storytelling, you tell stories now, and I don't know if this is how it's always been for you, to children and families, or and, and, and children of all ages, really. Uh, I know that you tailor your program for, really, the audience that you're asked to talk to. Is that true? Mm-hmm. That's true, yes. Do you ever do stories for non-children, for older, for, for adults, like adult stories? I do. Okay. And, you know, the... the, the Hmm, how to put this? Well, I, I concentrated on children's storytelling when I was in school because it was exciting to me. But what I have done a lot more of in the last 20 years is speaking to only adult audiences. And I have a whole series of different things I do with adults. Um, I do some personal narrative, which are stories that happen to you. But I have a thing about personal narrative, and it's this. Our personal narratives are for a moment in time. And when you pass on, they go with you. They do not survive you. But the folklore and the traditional stories that have come to us forever, those are going to be part of who we are for centuries to come. So I combine personal narrative and traditional narrative. And whenever, so if you encounter me somewhere, you're going to encounter um, as an adult storyteller a weaving of how the things that are happening now are still connected to our traditional stories. Mm. So I do a lot of that kind of storytelling. And what's always funny is I get one of two things because I either tell traditional narratives um, like part of the Canterbury Tales and I would do the Loathly Lady, which is a story about how the ugliest woman in Christendom finds love (laughs) to, um, I just released a new CD called Chairs in the Trees. Mm And it is about the, well, during Obama's administration, traveling across the country here in America and encountering weird 
bouts of racism uh, because we had a black president and suddenly it was like, oh, well, we have a black president. You can say anything you like to black people and they won't be offended by it. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty shocking, (laughs) some of the things people said. And so I tie that particular hour-long show, it's an hour-long show, into a story called Kayar's Minister of State, which is a story from India about uh, this tiger Kayar who gets a minister of state from amongst the animal population. And the the reason why you want to be his minister of state is because then he won't eat you. Mm. At least not right away. (laughs) Oh, no. And (laughs) so three animals come, and the one he chooses is the one who figures out how to say nothing to him and make him happy. Ah. Right. So the first animal he breathes and he says, is my breath sweet or sour? And he breathes on the animal and the animal goes, oh my gosh, your breath smells like roses. And he goes, my breath? Because, you know, his breath is offensive. Mm-hmm. My breath? And he says, you, you, you lie to people. And he eats them. The second person says, oh my gosh, your, your breath is disgusting. Don't ever breathe on me again. And he says, ha, you're just too plain. <laughs> you, you, you hurt people's feelings, and he ate him. And then the last bird, the last animal was like, I have a cold, I can't smell your breath, but if you're worried about it, chew some mint. <laughs> and he says, you're going to be my minister of state. Sometimes you tell the truth and sometimes you lie, but mostly you don't say anything. <laughs> so it's a story about uh, politics and how the, you know, we sometimes people say, oh, it doesn't really matter who the president is, doesn't matter what they say, yeah, our life goes on. But it actually has a huge effect on how, People get along from day to day. And because I think in story, mm-hmm. I think about how the business of when you when you have an overriding story in our country of how things are working, it moves through everybody's lives, even if they're not thinking about it. Mm. And so the story really is about how oh, and the, the image of the on the front, the chairs and the trees, is about this weird thing that seems to have gone down the national memory hole. Of right after the um, the second National uh, Republican Convention, when Clint Eastwood spoke to an empty chair, mm-hmm. there were people around the country who started lynching chairs from trees. Oh man! And and there was it was all over the news. People were talking about it. But now, if you mention it, people go, "I don't remember that." Right. Right. <laughs> and so talking, and so the, the, it's it's all about all of these things that happen. So it's an adult story. Um, I obviously would not tell that to children. I, I don't even tell it to middle school. It, it's a story that happens either high school or older and at universities. And it's about how we tell the story of who we are and why it's important to not think about our fellow Americans as others mm-hmm. and what happens when we do that. Hmm. So that, uh, that philosophy is something that I found within the children's entertainment community that has become very, uh, it's become a big priority for a lot of performers. As far yeah. as the music that they write, the performances mm-hmm. that they put on, the way that they address their audiences, there's, it's not so much that it wasn't there before, but there does seem to be a certain amount of urgency today that I see and I witness, and I witness it in myself. How do you translate then the story that, that you tell adults like that? Are you taking that same message to children now through different story? Yes. Well, the, the thing that's kind of fun about uh, most of the folklore that I enjoy, the multicultural folklore, um, is that it always has been about that. It's always been about the fact that we 
come from all these different places all over the world, but our stories are about the same things. We want to be loved, we want to be cared for, we want to be heard, and it's important that we are heard. But what's different for me now is that I will have schools that will ask for that. So I have all sorts of programming that is geared towards inclusiveness. It's you know anti-bullying has been a big deal for a really long time in schools and dealing with learning how to speak to each other and how to be respectful. That is a, a really bedrock thing that storytelling allows us to do because it allows you to take yourself out of your own body and go through a story with someone. Um, and the storyteller I think of sort of like a tour guide but an example of of a, a really kind of interesting thing that happened to me a couple of years ago, I was in Arizona and I was in this gorgeous school and the, the principal was asking me, you know, so what do you think about doing? And I said, okay, so you have two choices. You can either have this one set that's really about um, uh, powerful, you know, making powerful choices and, you know, you know, being respectful and anti-bullying, or you could have this diversity set where you're dealing with how all these various people come together. Uh, and they're not mutually exclusive, but the way the stories are put together, they're, they're geared towards a certain rhythm in a set, which we can talk about later in terms of how you put a story set together. But they're geared to a certain kind of rhythm. So I've chosen stories that are different lengths and that do different things. And I should explain the two sets, and he said, I want both of those. <laughs> And I said, wait, what, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, you need to understand, this school is very strange. He said, we have students who come here from million-dollar homes, and we have students that come here from a Native American uh, reservation, mm-hmm. and we have students that come here from the housing project that's just over there. And we <laughs> like, wow. okay, mm-hmm. so you need something very particular. So... I you know, put a set together for him that was about that. Um, and the, the last uh, story in the set, and it was for like, uh, like a third through fifth grade audience. And the last story in the set was not a story I normally tell to that age group called The Debate in Sign Language. And it's about this king who's so in love with himself. He's just, oh, he thinks he's the best. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that being beautiful is what makes him so wonderful. And he has mirrors all over his castle so he can just see himself. And he starts making his advisors wear makeup if they're not exactly right. And then masks if their faces can't be fixed with makeup. And then he has tapestries put all over the windows. And so he doesn't go out of his house for 10 years mm. and out of the castle. And when he finally decides he wants to do it, it's because he thinks his kingdom is beautiful. So his advisors set up this big fake scene so that he will see beautiful houses and beautiful road and beautiful gates. And then he accidentally penetrates their ruse and discovers his kingdom is diverse and full of all these people who he thinks are disgusting because they are poor. Mm. And he decides he wants to get rid of them. And uh, his advisors talk him into maybe giving them a chance. And so he decides he wants to set up a debate in sign language. He's going to pick the signs and they have to come and answer his signs. And it goes on from there. And, and one of the really poor people comes and actually manages to satisfactorily answer his signs. Only the two of them don't know what's happened. Like the king believes they were talking about, um, you know, there are two different kingdoms and he told me there was one kingdom and, and I told him that the poor were like dust and he told me that they were, we could be strong together. So that's what the king thinks. And then mm-hmm. at the chicken farmer's house, they say, what happened? He says, I don't know. He said, uh, he tried to, it, we didn't have a discussion. He, he, we had a fight. 
he tried to poke my eyes out and I blocked him and, and he tried to hit me and I, I told him if he did, I would like slap, you know. So they have totally different perceptions of what happened. And so the story is about learning about people and learning about what's actually going on around you before you make snap decisions. Wow. And it's a great story for kids because it's visual and it's funny. And when I say the king was like, who are these disgusting poor people? The children were horrified that any adult would behave that way. <laughs> oh, so brazenly, so obviously, right. Right, right. They were, and, and I do have stories like that where the the main characters in the story, uh, sometimes people get mad, you're not supposed to say the word stupid in a story, you know. We mm. tell the kids not to call each other that. And I, I remind them, I say, what characters were using that language? Mm. Mm-hmm. Which characters were behaving this way? They're the characters the kids would not want to be associated with. Mm. They're the characters that are doing the very things that, that, that they can visibly see are not cool. Right. And that's an important thing. You, if you want to, you, you know, watering all of this down so that you're only, you know, giving hints of something. Kids are not dumb. Right. Kids are looking at this world and they are seeing very specific things. Every time you do something, you are modeling the behavior, no matter what you say, you are modeling the behavior that children are going to continue. Right. And your behavior then is an advocate for that behavior. Whatever you do, you are blessing that behavior. Whatever language you use, you're saying, this is within the realm of acceptable. And yeah, that's where kids totally go there. So with a... We're gonna we're gonna wander all over the place, but there's some specific things I want to ask. But but this is so cool because I love stories. Um, I, but I'm and uh, as a songwriter, I like to write the three to five minute story in song, and it starts, it goes, and it flows, and there's maybe some character change. I'm not too much into the uh, teach and preach. Like I don't try and build specific morals into my stories. I want mm-hmm. them to be self-evident when they get to the end, you know, for the for the discovery of whatever happens. And it's usually silly stuff. It isn't heavy stuff usually. Do you, in the end, because uh, I saw some of your videos on on your website, which is magnificent. And if, to get a flavor for the work that you do, I would suggest everybody go to your website, check out your <laughs> videos because they're totally cool. And it seems like uh, sometimes in the end, you do circle back and you say what the story was about. Do you find that that's necessary to actually deliver that that message every time or or when is it okay to to just let them take it on their own well you know it is it has to do with the style of story that you tell there there is a there there are two different thoughts about this you know one is like don't tell people what something means you know we report you decide right <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> i i kind of i I have a feeling about the way I like to tell stories. And the way it is, is I construct them for different reasons. I don't tell stories just because I feel like it. I tell stories because they are reflections of the world we look at and we live in. And especially um, traditional material. Those things didn't happen in a vacuum. And they didn't happen uh, because... People just were hanging out. And there are stories like that. There are lots of stories like that. But I pick them for very particular reasons. So when I tell stories that, and I call that thing a button, okay. what you're dealing with is a button. Um, a crafted story for me is a story that begins in a place 
and you have a reason for why you're doing it. And then you wander through the story. And as you go through a story, you go through a structure, right? So a thing occurs, you live through that thing. You watch as various things come apart and then you end with something, you have a button. And the button should take you back to the beginning of the story. Mm. So that is a that is a crafted piece. Now, sometimes, or usually, I guess I say, when I end a story like that, um, for little kids especially, because they are still trying to figure out what a story is. Okay. They they have they have no sense of a structure of a story. So a lot of the stories that you you encounter, especially on my website and and uh, people have uploaded a ton of stuff to YouTube, they are they are structured stories because they are in some ways teaching material. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know what the structure of a story is, you cannot write one. If you don't know what a story is, you can't write one. If you don't know what goes into a story, you can't write one. And so your brain has to figure it out. And the way that stories are structured that I do in schools are structured to give kids, when they hear them, a way to understand how all of that fits together. Hmm. So when I tell stories with kids, that is a really particular thing that I do, that I structure them like that. Because, um, okay, here's a good example. Do you remember the first time you had to buy health insurance? Yes. It is the most confusing thing in the world to read that material. Yeah. (laughs) It's very, very strange. And so the first time you read it, you're guessing about stuff or you're looking words up or you're trying to go through it and work out what you're reading. You Mm -hmm. have no idea. Mm -hmm. By the 10th time you have to buy health insurance, you know exactly what you're looking for. You understand how that material is structured and you have a better sense of what you want and what you don't want. Right, right. So think about it like a record. So the longer you play it, the deeper the grooves get. Okay. When, is, when a student is first encountering a story, uh, and this is actually basically how I set up stories for different age groups, like a, like a preschooler, there are certain things that have to happen in a story. First, in order to be literate, right? You have to be able to visualize language. You have to be able to see it in your brain. If you're not seeing the language, nothing is happening. You're just listening to a whole series of words. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to... Um, uh, scope and sequence. Like what order did all that story happen in? What is the scope of it? Where does it begin and where does it end? And what happened? If you t- ask a kid up to like fifth grade, what happened in a movie, they'll tell you their favorite part first and then they will just randomly wander through the movie. <laughs> True. They will not tell you what happened because they don't have any sense of scope and sequence. All right. And then they also have to have predictive behavior. Like what's going to come next? And why is it coming next? Where is this story going? If you don't have predictive behavior, you're just listening to a whole series of events that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So when you structure stories for, for kids, it's important to have a beginning. Where does the story start? Right, A middle right, and an end and then some kind of conclusion. And so when I tell traditional material, I structure it like that for them. We have our beginning. We move through the story. We have different things happen each in the various parts of the story. And the end harkens back to the beginning so that you hear it and understand why that story, what, why is that story uh, put together like that? And how does the end of that story harken back to where it started? How is that a circle? Mm-hmm. So when I work with kids in schools, because one of the things I'm really interested in is literacy, 
I structure stories like that. When I structure stories for adults, it's slightly different. So, for instance, when I talk about the the chairs and the trees, it's an hour long story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a one woman show that is translated onto that CD. The very first thing you get is that Kayar's minister of state, and it's that long ridiculous. It's not even long story. It's like four minute story about this this tiger. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the CD, um, I I'm going into a, a breakfast room at the Hampton Inn, and the waffle line is out the window. And it's right after the last election uh, that Obama won. And there was, you know, there'd been all this tension and all this really heated racial rhetoric everywhere. And I come into this room and I'm the only black face in the area. And everybody like stops. (laughs) 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 It has, there's a breath of a moment. Like I have walked into a space where I don't belong or something. Mm -hmm. It's a hotel in public, right? And this woman who's, it gotta be in her like late seventies comes tottering out of the waffle line, walks up and just grabs my arm and says to me, I'm so glad that's over now. We can speak to each other again. And I have this moment where I go through all of these really intense emotions because, uh, you know, if you've been listening to the CD, you you can see how I would be sort of confronted by this. And my first thought, of course, is, I don't know why you're talking to me, lady. I don't know you. You're Mm -hmm. wasting your time not talking to me. Um, And of course, the second one is, you know, I don't know what you've been doing for the last, you know, five years that you need to, you need absolution from the very first black person you see, but I don't know what you've been doing. I can't help you. Mm -hmm. And then I go into this long inner tirade about how I can't go back to anything again. No, there's so much stuff going on in this country. We have to go through this because if we don't talk about this, it's going to come back and get us again. Mm -hmm. And I realized that she's doing her best at that moment to unother me. She's doing her best as an, as an elder could do to walk over and touch me because she doesn't know me. I could do anything. I could have yelled at her. I could have screamed. I could have jerked my arm away. I could have done anything. She was putting herself out at risk for me at that moment because she felt like I needed something from someone in this room and she was the one to step up to do it. And I realized that what she was asking me was a really simple question like, is my breath sweet or sour <laughs> so that's the button in that story uh-huh. and it harkens back to the beginning when i tell that story that little folk tale at the very beginning of that story now there's a little more before it ends and i talk about what i learned out of that like my my going forward but i don't tell the audience what that story is about obviously it's a long complicated story but still the structure for me needs to be there so that we remember how we got here um and to me and i know this is another big jump to me that's exactly what history is you find out what happened and then because of the thing that happened you have to live through a whole lot of stuff but when you are encountering something it's important to understand what happened already because that's the only way you'll have context for understanding what's happening now. So we talked about the you approach the different ages differently based you, you structure your set and the the actual material based on the ages that you that you are asked to deliver to. How does that work when it's mixed? Because for us, not us, that, and that's not to say a separation, but for for performers, usually it's just like, well, sometimes it is very specific. There's going to be a story time at the library. It's the four to eight year old crowd, and you get 45 minutes. Uh, for for other folks, it's 
just show up. We don't know who's going to be there. It's a thing. It's a time where anybody can come. And so you could have two to 12-year-olds that you mm-hmm. are charged with engaging, entertaining for, you know, 45 minutes. So what do you do when it's a mixed when it's a mixed group? How do you approach that differently? Well, normally what I do is, you know, they they all show up and I go, "Okay, I got to see who's in the audience because I have to pick stories." If there are there any 4-year-olds in the audience, raise your hand. If there are any 5-year-olds, raise your hand. I go all the way up to like, you know, if I see like some older looking teen maybe who hasn't said anything, I'll go 16, 17. Uh, and then once I've clearly managed to get all of the four-year-old to say, you know, 15-year-olds that are there, I ask, is everyone else 21? <laughs> and all the parents cheer. <laughs> or there'll be a kid going, my mom is 35. You know. uh, and then I ask, did anyone bring someone pre-verbal to storytelling? And then there are the adults going, wait a minute, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> so I have a few adults who brought 18-month-olds to storytelling, which, you know, I, I'm not someone who, you know, I, I'm not the person to call if you have two-year-olds. I'm, I'm not a big fan of telling to two-year-olds. That's, to me, that's like a laugh thing where you do face-to-face with your kid. But sure. if you want to bring to storytelling, sure. Um, so, which is very different from music because that's rhythmic and they have all these other uh, inputs. Um, for storytelling, if you cannot follow the story, uh, well... <laughs> That'll be interesting. Just noise. So, yeah. well, it's just noise, pretty much. And but it's 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 entertaining noise. And a lot of times, eighteen months old will mimic all the hand motions, and they'll start making noise with me, mm-hmm. like but a second after because I've made a sound, then they make the same sound, mm-hmm. which parents think are is adorable, and people who don't have kids think is annoying. So, <laughs> and what about you as a storyteller? Um, how does it feel? <laughs> no, what do you? What? How do you feel about that when you're like, I'm trying to do my job here, and this is very sweet. Hopefully. <laughs> Don't disrupt the performance. Well, it's, I think it's me. It's cool because they are indeed that they're just learning language. One of the things I talk about is the importance of vocabulary and listening to language and they are actively doing it in a room. And so it's cool to be able to later, you know, when I do workshops where teachers or parents, whoever, to talk about the fact that, that kids, even they can't understand necessarily what I'm saying, they're keyed into the language and the rhythm of language and the way it's being expressed. And we can talk about why that happens in a bit because that's a whole other topic. Anyway, so, so when, when I have that big, very, you know, very group of people, then I say, okay, so I have great stories for all different age groups. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to start um, with a story that's for the, you know, like the younger set. We'll do a story for the, the middle set. Um, we'll, we'll do a story that is, totally appropriate for everybody, but skews a little older. And if we have time, I'll do a totally appropriate adult set since you're here, adult mm. story, um, uh, because you're here. That's appropriate for your kids. They're not to understand the last two, really. They'll just be watching them. Mm-hmm. And they might have questions, and these are questions you could easily answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> recently, <laughs> uh, recently, yeah, because there are stories that would be inappropriate, and I tell them that straight up. Um, recently, I did was doing Halloween stories, and I had this hugely vast audience of everything from four-year-olds to like 18-year-olds. And then people who came without kids, just they wanted ghost stories. So I did age-appropriate ghost stories. And then I said, okay, here's the thing. We have so many adults in this audience. And it was a library where they were giving the kids pizza and they were playing games in the other room. They came in for storytelling for an hour. And it was supposed to be 40 minutes. And mm, it's an hour and they're still sitting in there. And I said, to the librarian, I said, why don't you take, you take the kids out and you can play some more games and whatever. I will tell an adult story, ghost story 
to whoever wants to stay if they're willing. And the adults were like, oh, yeah, we're totally willing. And mm -hmm. the 16-year-old was like, well, can we stay? That's okay. So I said, 15 years old and up can stay. Mm -hmm. And if you're younger than 15, you should probably go, which immediately made the the, the middle school age was like, what? But the only oh, reason yeah. I did that was because somebody has to go watch all these other children besides the librarian. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the 12 and 13-year-olds left. And the 14, they're in it, you know, I, I was trying, the 14-year-old's parents were like, oh, come on, let him stay. So it ended up being 14 through. And then we did one of those, one of my favorite kinds of stories where you sort of take the paint off the wall and everyone's, you know, screaming and jumping. Hmm. Um, and it's creepy, creepy and horrible. And, and the creeper and more horrible, they just love it. So I did the story about the boohag where she unravels her skin and then goes out and drinks in people's life energy. It was fun. And the... Uh, so I, I, I did it that way where I got rid of the youngest kids and let the older patrons listen to stories. So they had stories of their own. But most of the time, I just do a range of stories and I explain why they're for different age groups. So since we're in a library situation, which is where that would normally happen, um, it's also a way of educating an audience about what storytelling is. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm in a festival situation and, and uh, they actually have spaces for family audiences and I am not in a family audience's tent, then I do stuff that's appropriate for adults. There's no foul language, obviously. I don't normally do that anyway, but um, but the material is not geared to kids. Right. Because if you know that you're not in a family audience tent, then you have brought your kid in and you have to roll the dice on that. Um, but when I'm doing family audiences, I talk about where I get the stories from, uh, sort of like when you're introducing a song, right? You talk mm -hmm. about where the song came from or or that thing. Uh, and then I tell a story that's appropriate for pretty much anyone, as long as you understand the language. I apologize because I'm just going to start jumping around. But when you say something like that, it reminds me of, do you do covers when you pick a, when you pick a story? What do you mean? I don't know. So from, when you're picking a set, where do you get your stories from? Do you write any of your own stories from beginning to end and say, yeah, this is a concept I have. This is a story I want to tell. It's you obviously you weave, like you said, historical, you know, Canterbury tales into your into your storytelling. When, and that's kind of was like, or do you ever do a, a cover somebody else's story beginning to end and you try and deliver it in the same way? No, you don't do that. Um, storytelling world is a little different, I think, than uh, the music world in the sense that it's not appropriate to tell someone else's story from beginning to end in exactly the same way they would deliver it. Um, partly because there's no reason for that. There's, you know, like you, in the music world, there are, I don't know how many children's music performers there are. There are tons of them. Mm -hmm. Storytelling world, there aren't that many of us. Okay. <laughs> you know, there, there are, I don't know. I mean, every, there's, there's guilds around the country, but it would be, a highly inappropriate thing for me to get up on stage and say, I am now going to tell Barbara McBride Smith's <laughs> story mm -hmm. from beginning to end exactly as she does. First of all, that would be a very difficult thing. Most storytellers are, have very unique styles of telling stories. Mm -hmm. um, and most of us uh, really work on crafting material that works with our styles. So if you really want Barbara McBride Smith version of, um, the Greek stories, you should hire her. 
<laughs> you don't need me there. Right. I'm coming for something else. Also, there is this this uh, intellectual property issue. Now, there are some exceptions to this. I do a story uh, called Three Princes Writing, which is a fractured variant of the uh, Little Red Riding Hood. And it was originally written by Nancy Schimmel. And I learned it third party from someone who didn't tell me that it was originally written by Nancy Schimmel. So I was not uh, crediting her with the original piece. And I found out about, I don't know, maybe 15 years into my career that she had written that original piece. And so I contacted her and sent her the text of the piece that I was doing that's based on a story that was based on a story that she wrote. Mm -hmm. And got her blessing to tell it because it's different enough from hers, and she thought it was funny. <laughs> a derivative, a derivative work, basically, yeah. Right, but if she had said to me, "No, no way, please do not do that," I would have stopped telling that story. Sure. I have encountered uh, people who've sent me videos of their children in different kind of storytelling competitions around the country, telling versions of the stories I tell exactly as I tell them as best they can. Uh huh. That's fine with me. <laughs> you know, if, they, if they are if they're using that material as competition pieces, they usually say, "I learned this from Donna Washington." I don't require kids who are doing that sort of thing to, um, you know, to get my permission to do that. I have nieces and nephews who compete in storytelling or speech competitions who use the stuff that I do almost verbatim and their parents are so proud of them. <laughs> and you know, if I'm not going to like ding my family members for doing it, like, who am I going to ding? Like, I'm not going like, <laughs> to cease and desist. But, um, no, I, you know, you, you, you really need to honor other people's work. And there are people who contact me. You know, I also write children's books. So occasionally people will contact me and say, I want to tell this story, or I heard you tell this story. Can, can I tell the story? And what I would normally do is say, here are the vi various versions of this particular story that I used to create the version that I tell, because I, I tend to like to find different variants uh, as opposed to, this is one version of the story. So I find a lot of different variants. I listen to different people tell these stories. I listen to what resonates and what doesn't resonate with me in particular. Uh, and then I craft a piece of story that works with my style. So there are, that's why there's so many versions of the same story, obviously. Mm -hmm. I think every children's performer has a song called Put Your Arms in the Air. So, oh, yeah. You know, so the <laughs> you know, or brush your teeth, or, you know, try to share, don't be a jerk, or some variant on that theme. Anyway. But it, it, sounds a it sounds almost a little bit like stand-up. Like from, from friends of mine who do stand-up comedy, where it's like you don't lift anybody else's material verbatim. You can kind of, but you have to find your own twist on your your own take on whatever it is you're talking about. Right. Well, and, and that is, I think that that is a fair comparison. As a, as since a lot of really, the, the best stand-ups tend to be telling stories. You know, you you don't, you, don't, you, you, you rarely get like a Mitch Hederberg or, um, uh, oh, what's the guy that does the... Um, one-liner Stephen Wright, you know, mm -hmm. that, that kind of comic is not, I mean, and then the reason why their comedy was so much fun isn't because, uh, it's because of the way he delivered it. That was, you bought a character in that You're. It's not quite the same. Most people are actually telling stories about things, but right. they're doing it humorously. Right. Um, so 
yeah, I think that there's a lot of crossover in that sense. Like you don't tell someone's straight up routine, but if that routine reminds you of something else and you, you go pinging off of it. Right. One difference in the folklore world, uh, in the world of storytelling is if you're doing folklore, you all have the same exact story, right? You're all doing right. Sodi Saluratus, but how is it that you are doing it that makes, that is different, that makes it different. So, um, uh, I, 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 maybe about maybe 10 years ago, uh, someone, I told, I told a variant of Sodi Saluratus, um, and someone walked up to me and said, you know, there's some woman in New York that tells almost that exact same version with that exact same wording. Are you Donna Washington? <laughs> <laughs> no. Who is this wonderful person that you're speaking of? I should, I should check them out. Well, I asked, I said, yeah, I am. Why do you ask this? Like, you know, it wasn't me that you saw. Because no, the person who tells it says they learned the story from you and got permission to tell the story. Oh. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> That's so, my nephew. <laughs> <laughs> What's your process when you're putting together a story? The process I use is, for me anyway, I'm not likely to write out a story verbatim. And the reason for that is uh, I'm a writer. And if I write something down, it looks real to me. Mm. <laughs> it's hard for me. It's hard for me to play with it really well verbally if I've written it down. And someone's like, oh, that's it. You're stuck right there. So um, I don't particularly care to do that. So what I tend to do is I'm a, I'll, 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 I, I talk through the stories. I talk to them while I'm doing the dishes. I'm vacuuming. I'm in the car. I'm in the grocery store. My entire community knows that I'm a little crazy because they'll see me walking and talking to myself. I'm on the exercise bike. I'm muttering. So, um, but what I do is I will go through a story using, changing the characters up, seeing how they might be different, seeing how they might react to things until I figure out how they need to react to things. It is much faster for me to do that verbally than it is for me to do that on paper. Hmm. Um, unless I'm writing a long form thing and then I need to sit down and write it because I have to keep track of everything. Mm -hmm. But I do not put stories on paper. Um, the few times that the stories end up in picture books, they get broken. Like for me, they're broken, right? I, I don't tell them very often anymore because that's how they are. And I'm, I'm not going to do them exactly like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then I stop telling them. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, so I like to keep them alive and, Keeping them alive for me means to keep them in my head. And then when it comes time to put together your set list, you're then it's all just recall. Is that right? I'll recall. Wow. And the, the way I deal with that is I store stories. You remember I said stories are like pictures in your head. So I store stories like DVDs. All right. Mm -hmm. So if I want to tell a story, I pop the DVD in it and I just watch the pictures. I watch the movie and I tell you what I see in the movie. Mm. So the longer it's sort of, again, going back to the record and the grooves, the more often I tell you a story, the more the pictures and the language sync up and become set. Mm -hmm. But the, if I tell a story infrequently, that, that story is going to be radically strange. You know, as I, if I decide to pull it out of the mothballs for some reason, mm -hmm. Because it's like perfect. <laughs> Any anything could happen when I tell it. So you know, but I, I do not I do not uh, commit all of that language to memory uh, because then also it it isn't as flexible. You know, songwriters, you guys have beats and measures. You've got to make all the words work in there with all the music. Uh, not me. Right. So I <laughs> I get up there, and sometimes I learn things about a story in the middle of it that I didn't know. 
Uh, yeah, I was, no. was going to say, it would seem then that the stories get to remain relative. They, they can evolve to not only what's going on within you personally, but what's going on in the crowd at the moment or the season exactly. or the time on the planet. And you can pull new and interesting things into it at whim or as, or as the, the setting requires. And it also means that if the audience reacts in a way that I don't expect, I can easily play with that and I can improvise around that. Do you ever find a, uh, that happens and you have the inclination just to kind of keep poking the audience to see how far they can go with you? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the fun, isn't it? You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You don't know. And, and you all, you know, uh, there, there'll be times I, I will have come to a point in a story where I'll go, you know what, I'm going to try something and, and I'll just try it and see what happens. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then I shift it off and I, or I could say, wow, that did not work. We're not ever doing that again. And the <laughs> audience laughs, right. Or, or I could say that was perfect. Uh, that's the first time. And I, sometimes I just tell them that's the first time I ever tried that. You guys are great. Let's get back into the story. <laughs> so the, the thing about me and storytelling, I think is important is that your goal is to create a community, uh, a community that's connected through that, those stories. And if you create, create that community, they will go anywhere with you. Like I said, I think we're st storytellers like tour guides. I'm going to pick you up somewhere. We're going to wander through some really kind of fun stuff. And then I'm going to drop you safely off at the end. And you're going to have gone through all this great stuff with me. And then we're going to be done. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the tour varies here and there and whatever. And sometimes I just go, like yesterday, I was uh, in front of a group of, a group of kids. Uh, we were talking about, our story was about uh, clever manga. It's about a woman who bucks the system. And uh, the word obligation went completely out of my head. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, and I said, uh, you know, they had to sit on the throne because they had ob, not observances. And I just looked over and said, what's the word? Because with ob, it means stuff you have to do. Someone said obligation. I said, thank you. We went on. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually relate to that in so many painful ways. Because I know what it's like to be standing on stage halfway through a song and look over at the keyboard player and give him that look like, I can't remember the next verse. I wrote the song. I don't know where it's going. You want to do it? No? Just grins and keep going. Musical part. I'll, we'll get back to it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, um, all right. Sorry. I, I want to talk about everything else except what I wanted to talk about today, which was if you're a children's musician and you want to start incorporating story into your performance mm -hmm. how long is how long should a story be like what do you think is an appropriate so and let's say that we have the four to ten year old range and i know that really that that's a, a wide range you Huge. you you break it down into really like six-year-olds or six seven-year-olds or five six-year-olds yeah. um what do you think is appropriate? Say that you got a 45-minute library set, you have 10 songs, some interactive stuff, some stand-up stretch, let's get going, let's share, let's talk to our neighbor songs, and then somewhere into the 20-minute mark, you're like, okay, we're going to calm it down, I want to sit down, I want to tell a story. I don't want to read a book, I don't want to pull out the puppets, I want to try telling a story. What would you suggest for somebody who's just getting into that? Wow. Too much? No, no. Okay, so... Let's think about this. Let me give you some idea of, of what the rhythm a storyteller uses. Because as, as a songwriter, you know how you're structuring the songs to do whatever, right? Like like uh, the 
first song, I don't know if it's really jumpy, upbeat, the kids got to jump up and dance. And then maybe the second song, there's like, oh, shake your neighbor's hand or whatever it's going to be. And then the third song, so that you're trying to get them through the, the music. First of all, understand a storyteller would never tell 10 stories in one set. Mm-hmm. That would never happen. Because in the world of storytelling, especially with little kids, you can take them anywhere. Like if you engage them and you're active enough to engage them, you can tell them one story for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Just one. (laughs) (laughs) And in my world, in the storytelling, where the way I like to do it, I would never tell more than two stories to a group of, say, pre-K to second grade. I would Mm -hmm. never tell more than two. Two is the most. Because... The second you stop telling the story, you break their um, attention span. Like I can hold an attention span for an hour without a problem. But once you break it, then you have to get them back. So you break it, their brains go all over the place, their bodies go go all over the place, then you have to get them back. Music is kind of cool in the sense that you get them back by playing the music and it's rhythmic and their bodies respond to the music so that it's harder to lose them forever. Right. But if you are not careful, you can lose an audience in about a minute and a half as a storyteller, and then you will have to fight them to make them come back. Mm. What I think most senior songwriters who work with children's, uh, children's audiences encounter is that you have a really brief introduction to the song, and then you play a song. Is that correct? Basically, yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, now we're going to, now everybody, let's do this. And then this, right. then you get into the next one. Right. So that, that you are forever perpetually moving them around and having them sing or do something. In, story, in the storytelling space, stories that I do for little kids are built to make them do the kinds of things they do during songs, but with spoken word. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, but you could definitely go more okay. specific so, on that. I mean, I, I right. kind of get it, but, but okay. yes. So you want stories that are interactive, that aren't going to make the kids sit and stare at you. Because especially if you've been having them move around and wiggle around, you could have, oh, well, here you go. Here you go. Here's a, here's a suggestion. Since they've been moving around, especially if you've got like maybe four or five really upbeat stories and you've got them moving around, dancing around, then you might do a story that that allows them to do a stretch break or a quiet break. You might want to bring it in uh, to bridge into different kinds of songs, potentially. I recommend that you use a story that changes the rhythm of your set. So if they've been up and jumping around, tell a more quiet story that has interactive things. It could be something simple as, this is a story that is about, I don't know, a story about every time I say the word Jeff, you say ping pong. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh because he's a ball, right? So uh, Jeff went over and he, Jeff ping pong went over and rolled his friend Gabby's house and Gabby said, Jeff, how are you doing? Ping pong, right. Something really silly like that, um, but actually tells a story. Something that could incorporate um, how many of you have ever done this? Raise your hand. Bonk. This is a story about going to the store and uh, tripping over bubblegum. Has you ever stepped on bubblegum? Raise your hand. How many of you have never stepped on bubblegum? Raise your hand. In other words, they have to be interactive. 
-hmm. You talk to the audience as you tell the story. And whatever they throw at you, you have to kind of roll with because you've been doing music. So it's a good chance that they're still really feeling really verbal and they've been yelling at you and you've been singing. Right. Now they're going to be yelling at you and you have to deal with the, <laughs> <laughs> the crazy that might be unleashed. You, you should use the story to give the audience a break from the music. And if you're going to do that, it needs to be different. So if your music is high, tell them a story that's kind of low and fun. If the music is low and fun, find a story that's kind of high. In terms of how long it should be, mm -hmm. I don't know. How comfortable are you telling a story? If you are new to it, I recommend a short story. So you can get used to the way the audience moves when you just have a voice. I don't. I, I know that there are some storytellers who are singers, songwriters who are uncomfortable when there's no music going on, mm -hmm. like they're just talking because they understand how you fill a stage if there's music, but they don't quite get how you fill a stage if there isn't any, and it might feel weird. I think a lot of performers use props like puppets or things like that during those times to help them keep the interest going around them. So they, when they take a break from music, it's like, oh, and now we're going to pull out puppets and we're going to do something visually different. But the idea of just being able to say, hey, and, and I guess the default is in my mind, even though it doesn't, after just hearing you talk just briefly about this, it doesn't have to be, okay, everybody, now it's story time. Everybody, oh, shh, God. let's get down yes. and get Don't in the circle, <laughs> cross your legs. And I, I want to tell you a story about, you know, do I'm sorry, am I making you uncomfortable? <laughs> Don't ever do that. Children are not morons. Okay? They're not idiots. You don't have to go, okay, everybody, now it's story time. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I never will. Now, for certain, I guarantee. Because if I do, I will be laughing because I'll be thinking about you. And I'll be like, you know what? <laughs> I'll do it so for my adult gigs. That's what I'll do. <laughs> so here is here's the way I start stories with the pre-KK crowd. Occasionally I have, like I, the other day I had a pre-KK crowd. Normally I do pre-K, second grade third grade to fifth grade, I would like to do sixth grade alone, seventh grade alone, eighth grade alone, and then a high school can be any mix at all that you like. Mm -hmm. So that's how I like to break them up. But I had a pre-KK crowd, which is not my favorite thing because they can't learn anything about behavior from older students. They're just in there all going, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're also an audience that needs training wheels because there's a good chance they have no idea how to interact with storytelling. They've never encountered it before like this in a more formal setting. And they have no idea what the audience expectations are. So we start with, I start with the question. How many of you are the smallest person in your house? And the hands go up. And I say, how many of you wish you were taller? And the hands go up. How many wish you could drive a car? Hands go up. How many of you wish you could reach that shelf where your mother hides those cookies? Hands go up. <laughs> uh, how many of you wish you could eat anything you want? Then the teachers also raise their hands. Oh, yeah. and, then I, and then I ask, how many of you have ever been told that you were silly? And the hands go up. And I said, yeah, people tell me that all the time. And, and I said, so I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories from when I was a kid. And I learned it from one of my favorite television shows. Who can guess what you think my favorite television show is? And then, of course, they start telling you, you know, televisions, you know, shows that they know, Peppa Pig and that kind of thing. And I'm like, Peppa was not on the TV when I was a kid. Think about old, old TV shows, like your parents used to watch. And then, then sometimes they like the Flintstones, right? So 
<laughs> so then, they, and, then, and it's Sesame Street. It's it's a Prairie Dawn story from Sesame Street. But and the story, it's a show that they would watch today, possibly. But eventually, I if they can't get it, I I start singing the theme song. And they go Elmo, <laughs> who wasn't on the TV when I was no, a kid. No. <laughs> um, so that's how I start that set. I don't try to get them quiet. I don't make any effort to like you know. Everyone did it, do doing. You have to do exactly like this. They immediately start raising their hands and yelling things out at me, and then I say, "Okay, this is a story. Uh, this story is called Silly Annabelle, and we're going to begin. Here we go. Now, this is a story where everybody was very, very serious. Everyone, sit with your back straight. They do. Hands in your laps. Hands in your laps. They're laughing. At which point they all start laughing. <laughs> So, so that's how that story starts. Uh-huh. It is a 50-minute story. <laughs> for pre-KK, yeah. An hour-long story for pre-K. That's a mate. That's awesome. Well, because it has movements in it. Sure. So it, it the you start uh, with the people they they're so serious they they don't wave at their friends they just lift their lips they go ha ha they write bills they don't you know do any coloring or anything. And they march when they go down the streets, and the kids are all sitting very seriously. And then I say, and the, but there's one person who wasn't like that. Her name was Annabelle, but no one's called her that. They call her Silly Annabelle. And then she's wandering around, and they go, ha, look at that. Silly Annabelle's wandering around. Do you think she'll ever stop? And I say, no. And then she does a few more things. And then I ask the kids, do you think she'll ever stop? And they go, no. <laughs> so within the first three and a half minutes of the story, they're already doing call and response. Right. And the call and response and the physical activities, like it's about a dragon who dances and, and he does this wild dang, 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 dance every time I ask what he's doing. And by the third time, all the kids are dancing around every time I go, dang, 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 but on their bottoms, right? They're sitting still, they're, they're mm-hmm. dancing from the waist up. Every five minutes or so, a beat changes in the story and it requires a different physicality, a different verbalization, and a and an understanding a different plot line that still goes back to the beginning of that story. And after 45 minutes in that story, I ask, do you remember silly Annabelle from the beginning of the story? And they go, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to her? (laughs) She solves the problem at the very end. Ah. It's the only reason to bring her up because the dragon is very silly and they try to solve the problem by being very serious. And every time they try, they fail. And, you know, we make a magic dragon shrinking powder and the kids figure out what has to go in it. It is, it is, an, it is a 50 minute story. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I get responses from teachers going, they remembered the whole story. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to tell it from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, well, that's, it's structured to force their brains to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're in a situation for singer-songwriters in a set, I would say your best bet is to do a short story that is about as long as a song, at least when you first start, three, four-minute story, maybe five minutes if you're pushing it. If you discover that you are good at managing a crowd using call and response, using some physical stuff, then you can stretch it a little bit. You may discover that you can do a 10-minute story in the middle of a set. You may Mm -hmm. discover that. And you also may discover that you can use the music. Like, for instance, you could – Bill Harley is really good at that where he's telling a story and there's, like, one little section that has some music in it. 
um, and then they have a call and response that's musical. Mm-hmm. You can do that. You can put the guitar or your you know, come out from on your keyboard or whatever it is and just do a story straight. I know that, that there are puppeteers and people like to use puppets. They are a very good way to, you know, kids hone in on the funny, fuzzy little thing that's talking to you. But one of the things that's really important in, in the literacy world is being able to make your own visual images. This is why if you're reading a picture book to kids and you don't turn it around, there's a riot on your hands mm. because they want to see the pictures. But without the book, they make their own images. And they learn to associate spoken word with pictures and not spoken word with puppets. So that when they get back to reading, they know how to, their brain is like that whole record thing, right? The groove Mm -hmm. in the record. They already know how to transform words into images and reading becomes a thing that they can do more easily. Mm -hmm. But it's a part of the brain that you have to exercise. And with so much visual input that kids have nowadays with their video games and their everything is visual, like you know, the computers and screens everywhere. You no one is asking them on a regular basis to come up with their own images. Um, I had a, a school um, in my last season where they were gonna do uh, kindergarten, first, second grade, and they're like, oh, you know, we've had storytellers. Storytellers can't keep their attention. And I said, I'll do a 40, you're paying for 45 minutes, you might as well get 45 minutes. And they're like, okay. I said, so what's bracketing this? Do they have lunch? No, no, they're just going back to their classrooms. So I told my husband, I said, I'm going to tell for an hour and dismiss them in silence. That's going to be my goal. <laughs> and so I went, I did that. I told for an hour and dismissed them in silence. And the teachers, and, and it's really funny, the same question that they're asking me, I used to get from middle school and high school audiences. And the question is, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, you. I'm telling to them. I, I'm not. <laughs> if you find the information that's them, that's for them. That is for them. That they are looking for. That hits the boxes that that are part of who they are. They'll listen to you all day long. Right. Going into middle schools, especially at the beginning of my career, it's not even a problem now. But at the beginning of my career, going to middle school and high schools, I would walk in with my little self, and that's it. And they're looking around for my band. They're looking around for my costumes. They're looking around for whatever it is I must have brought to keep their attention while I'm talking. And and they'll go, uh, what, uh, where or do you have more stuff? I said, no, I'm just going to stand in front of a microphone for 45 minutes. And you could see like the wheels going and these principals had the steam coming out of their ears. Whoever booked this is going to die, right? (laughs) (laughs) Did we keep a receipt? Did we keep a receipt on this? Can we return this performer right now? Right. And they're like, well, uh, our kids are XYZ, PDQ. They're this, they're that. I was like, no problem. Are you sure? Do you need, uh, we're going to stand in. And so it wasn't uncommon at the beginning for them to get the teachers to stand with their arms folded, glaring at the children right before I started to make sure the children knew that they would die if they were disrespectful. And then I start and they're like, what the hell is this? And they, excuse me. And they sit down. And then by the end, the, the, the teachers have forgotten that they were supposed to be keeping track of everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's over. And of course I get the question, how did you do that? Cause I was telling to them, you know, you know, right, right. You know, I know performers come in sometimes and do exactly the same show for the kindergarten, the second grade as they would do the third through fifth grade. There's no reason that they couldn't have put them all together in one spot and done it. But their their brains are doing such different things. Their emotional, social needs are so different at those ages that it is easy, at least in terms of just figuring them out, 
to, to find material that's appropriate for that. Tell to the people who are in front of you. That's, that's the key to this. So if you're going to stop singing and you're going to talk and you're going to tell a story, consider who's in front of you and tell stories to that. Yeah, you wouldn't give juice boxes at like a wedding reception. No, <laughs> you would you <know>. not. <laughs> that is a great analogy. <laughs> totally using that. Okay, it's yours. <laughs> Cowboy Andy, I'll, 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 I'll borrow that from you. That is great. You, you, that's exactly right. Donna, thank you so much. So much for this opportunity to chat with you about this. I... I enjoyed this way more than I expected to, although I suspected I might, uh, having never met you, but just like immediately. And the funny thing is, it's like the this this um, conversation we have has been a story. This is the story that you got to share with me, and I was I've been enraptured with the whole thing. And I I believe that there's a lot of gems that we covered that people could extract, and if nothing else, to have confidence in giving it a shot. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens? If you if you want to get into storytelling and you crash and burn and the eight kids at the library are like, could we go back to singing about dinosaurs now? It's like, of course you can. I'm never doing that again. You know, that's totally acceptable. But I think um, the thoughtful the thoughtful process of it is it's a lot more complicated than I expected it to be. I mean, it is seriously, it's a master craft and you don't do it well. If you don't do it well, I think it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. And then, you know, you keep, if, if you want to, if you want to get better at it, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do a plug. I, please, I don't normally please, please, plug, please. But I'm going to plug. All right. So I write a blog called Language Literacy and Storytelling. And the reason I started it was because I wanted to engage in the craft of storytelling. I, I always get a little annoyed. People say, it's magical. It's, it's, if you say that, then it makes it seem like it's not understandable and not something you can learn how to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so language literacy and storytelling. And I break down the process. You asked how I pick stories. I have an entire series on there about how I pick stories and how I craft them. I have a whole series on there that might be in interesting for itinerant performers about marketing. What is your marketing material saying about you? How do you craft it? How, how do you make all your market material speak to itself? while it's also speaking to other people. What are you putting out there? Um, there are series on working in schools with kids. There are series on racism or political stuff in schools and how the material affects that or doesn't affect that. Uh, there's some pieces that are just commentary about being a performer. And there's also self-care stuff. Like if you're on the road for three weeks, what are some really good things you might want to consider doing so that you come off the road and you don't look like a damp noodle? Uh, uh -huh. So there's all that stuff there. So it's it's called language. So if you type in language literacy and storytelling, Donna Washington, um, it should take you over there. Oh, brilliant. That is great. So Donna, thank you so very, very much for coming on uh, Barn Banter. It was delightful. I hope that in, in the future, if there's something you're like, hey, you know what we should talk about? Or here's a new thing or... You can reach out to me and we will do this again gladly anytime that you want to join. Please feel free. The door is always open. Well, thank you so much. I've had a wonderful time this, this afternoon, morning, whenever. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> wow, what fun. Thank you, Donna Washington, so much for coming into the barn, talking to us about storytelling, sharing your expertise and your wisdom. That was an amazing conversation. It, made, it just made me feel good. And going to her website and looking at the videos, 
she parses it out. It's really amazing. She has this very dialed in on an age by age, the specific science of storytelling, the history of story- storytelling, everything about that. There's just a ton of resources there. And so even if you don't want to actually do storytelling in your gig, I think it's totally worth just going and spending some time snooping around there and checking it out. I think it's great. And I hope someday to actually see her perform in person. I haven't had a chance to do that yet, but boy, but boy, howdy, given the chance, I'd sure be there. Okay, so that's it for this time. We're going to be bringing up, oh, insurance. Anybody want to talk about insurance? That's in the future. And oh, so many other cool things. All right, well, take care, be well, and oh, how about this? Okay, everybody, sit down. It's time for story time. That's right. I'd like to tell you a story about a theme song, about how we're all the same, all the same. Ah, la, la, la.